um, when I started preaching at big church on Sundays, I, I vowed to myself that I would never pick up a mic without giving honor where honor was, is due. And if it wasn't for the staff and the, the pastoring and the leadership of this church, I wouldn't be who I am or where I am. Um, obviously, the paramount decision you make in your life is to give your life to, to Jesus, right? To make him Lord of your life. But I think just underneath that is is where you decide to put your roots, to, to build your life, what church to be a part of, where to submit to. Um, and I think that the soil we have here is very fertile. Um, we have some, like I said, great pastor and great staff. So I thank God for that and I thank them for that. So thank you, Pastor Carl, for being who you are and allowing people like me to uh, get up here and share the word. Amen. Amen. Um, a lot of you know Pastor Jason. He's my near and dear friend. I'm actually godfather to his godchildren, so we're really close. We grew up in, in you together, uh, both underneath Pastor Chris. Uh, we have a long, long history with Pastor Chris and with each other. And recently, well, I'll say recently, about two years ago, he uh, invited me to go bow fishing. And if you know me, I'm not really an outdoorsy person. I wouldn't consider myself to enjoy, you know, like, hunting or fishing or anything like that. And it was just like a petty yes. You know, you ever have that friend you, like, he's, he's or he or she's trying to get you to hang out, and you're like, man, you know, I don't really enjoy that. But because you enjoy it, I'll go. Right? I, I want to make him happy. And uh, come to find out, you go bow fishing at, like, Right. You start at 10 o'clock. So that means you're not getting home until like three or four in the morning. When I found out, I was pretty upset. I was like, man, I just accepted a pity invite and now I'm sacrificing sleep and I got to be home at four o'clock in the morning, missing all of my time with my wife. You know, I got to get up for work the next morning. Didn't even take off work because I didn't know that I was going to be out till four o'clock in the morning. But what would happen when you go boat fishing is that essentially the captain would like call out uh, the fish as he sees him. He spots the fish with a spotlight and then you, you get your bow ready and shoot the arrow at the fish. Um, and in one particular instance, they had a big old redfish, probably about 24 to 30 inches swimming in the front of the boat, like really, really close. And the captain calls it out and Jason and I both run up there, right, ecstatic, getting our bows ready to finally hit a fish. And, uh, I'm telling you, this fish had to be like 20 inches away, and both of us are pulling back our bows with all our might. And can you guess when we release who hit them? None of us. <laughs> the fish swam away, safe and sound, got to enjoy another day with his family. Uh, but it's safe to say that Jason and I missed the mark. We had an easy setup, we had instructions, we had a spotlight on this fish. There was no reason we shouldn't have hit this fish, given the the distance from us to the fish and how big this fish was, there's no reason we shouldn't hit it, but we missed the mark. We were given clear guidance, clear instruction, clear everything, but it was on us because we missed it. And in the same way, God gives us clear instruction, clear guidance, expects us to do certain things, but we miss the mark and we fall short and we sin by not doing what he expects us to do. Um, and if you guys know that me and Pastor Chris are in a series called, what does the Bible say about blank? And this morning, I'm bringing you a word on what does the Bible say about works? And what is meant by works? Works, uh, I would define as something that you would expect a, a good Christian to do, right? Like a good Christian reads their Bible, a good Christian comes to church, a good Christian um, helps when help is needed, gives money, tithes, etc. Um, and that's what's meant by, by works. But I want to open up in prayer just to obviously give this service to the Lord. So, Father God, I would just thank you for the service. Father God, I pray that you would just speak through me this morning, that it would be none of my opinion or theology or doctrine, Father God, but that everything I say would just be straight from your throne room. 
and would be given to your congregation, Father God, that they would meditate on this word and that it would produce a fruit 30, 16, or 100-fold. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. And how many of y'all know Ray Comfort, right? Ray Comfort is like a big evangelist. He goes out and he preaches. And I love how he opens up his, his like conversations, right? He always asks him, like, have you ever lied? Have you ever, you know, envied or lusted or uh, were prideful, et cetera? And every time these people obviously answer yes, because we're humans, we're fallen, we've all sinned and, and, and fall short. Um, but he essentially gets them to admit that they're guilty, that they've fallen short, that they missed the mark. And in doing so, he tells them that, you know, because you have fallen short, you're in need of a savior. You're in need of someone to take your sin as a punishment for you, as a substitute for you, so that you can be declared righteous. Um, so we, we've all missed the mark, point being. We all missed the mark. We all fall short. We all um, need Jesus. But first and foremost, I want to make this point is that because you have fallen short, you deserve death, right? And it's, it's short and sweet. There's no... No getting around it without Jesus, right? We deserve death. Because we have fallen short, we deserve death. Romans chapter 3, verse 23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Meaning that because you have sinned, your just payment for sin is death. God in his justiceness or his justice can essentially righteously give you death because you've sinned and fallen short. But we have such a great Savior, amen? We have such a personal God that would say, you know what? Instead of giving them death and giving them what they deserve, I'm going to give them the free gift of eternal life by becoming a substitute for their sin, by being the, the penalty for their sin, by crucifying myself so that I can come down and, and have a personal relationship with them. Um, I'm not sure how familiar you guys are with the parish, right, Which, with St. Bernard. But on St. Bernard Highway, they have what's called the battlefield. And uh, at the back of these battlefields, it's... It's the Mississippi River. The Mississippi runs along the backside of this battlefield. Well, when I was a kid, I would find it amusing to like climb up on these like three-story blocks that they would have at the back of these battlefield, well, at the back of this battlefield. And um, I remember a big barge just coming by on the Mississippi River, and I, they were telling me to get down. I thought they, they were telling me to jump into the river. So in my youthfulness, in my whatever you want to call it, foolishness, stupidness, <laughs> decided I was gonna jump into the Mississippi River. So I jumped into the Mississippi River. And uh, what I deserved in that moment was probably death, death to my body, right? I could have been like drug underneath the water by an undertow, I could have been gone and forgotten, you guys would have never known that I would, who I was or that I existed. Um, but needless to say, cops were called. Cops did come back there and escorted me and my friend to the local juvenile center. Um, my mom came to get me. They told her everything had happened, and needless to say, she was not happy. Um, but point being, I deserved everything that happened to me in that moment. I deserved to be escorted home in a, in a cop car. I deserved to face punishment. I deserved to face wrath from my mom. I deserved all those things. In the same way that when we fall short and we sin, we deserve death. And I want to really emphasize the death in that verse of scripture, Romans chapter 3, verse 23. Can you put that verse up for me? This is the one I just quoted, but it says, obviously, again, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And I want to, again, emphasize the word death there because I feel like preachers or in some churches today, like hell isn't really 
given proper context, right? There's some churches that are even preaching that hell doesn't exist, which is mind-blowing to me because Jesus spoke more about hell than about heaven. And some of the things that Jesus used to describe hell, right, is an eternal fire, a fire that never runs out, uh, an everlasting punishment, a place of weeping and gnashing of teeth. Gnashing of teeth to the, is uh, a symbol given for like extreme anguish or regret or punishment that, to the point to where you would like break your teeth over how painful it was, the regret you would have, et cetera. So hell isn't a fun place, right? And we always hear the idiom like, oh, well, when I get to hell, we're gonna have a party. Like there's, there's no party in, he in hell. There's a party in heaven, that's where I'm gonna be. <laughs> there's no parties in hell. If you go to hell, you're gonna be in extreme pain, anguish, despair, regret, and there's a chasm between heaven and hell. So there's no getting out of it is what I'm trying to get across. Uh, but we have such, again, we have such a great savior, such a great Lord that would tell us, you know what, instead of giving you the just payment for your sin, I'm going to come and be a substitute for you so that you can be made righteous. Um, Romans chapter 8, verse 1 um, says that there's no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. And because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. For, for God did what the law was unable to do by giving his son, right? And, and he came as a person in the body like the bodies we sinners have so that he can be um, the person to fulfill the just requirement of the law. I just thank God that he fulfilled that just requirement for us. Amen. Amen. We thank you for that, Lord. Um, and just to go a little bit deeper, follow my Bible heads. In Galatians chapter 3, uh, verse 10, it says that um, for those who, who were living under the law, right, of the New Testament and the Torah, uh, Old Testament, I'm sorry, and the Torah, that you were guilty, if you broke one law, you were guilty of breaking all 613 laws. Um, the Bible says that nobody can be made righteous by obeying and following the law of the Old Testament. Um, and that, that you were under a curse by doing so. And the curse was that there was never complete forgiveness of sin. There was never complete um, eradication of sin. It was always an atonement. It was always a holding over until Christ came. And if you know anything about the Old Testament and about the law, if you sinned, you would have to essentially go and find your sacrifice, bring it to the altar, and sacrifice, you know, whatever animal that the law required so that you can be, uh, your sin can be atoned for. And so Jesus Christ would come to completely forgive and forget your sin. Uh, but I'm so thankful that he made Jesus who knew no sin to become sin for us so that we can be made righteous, so that we can become the righteousness of God. Um, when Jesus came and, and died on the cross, became sin for us so that we can become righteous, there was an exchange there, right? And obviously he got the worst end of the deal. Um, he was crucified, he came down in human form, right? God in all his magnificence came down in a body like the bodies we sinners have so that he could be sent for us and so that we can be made righteous. <clears throat> you deserve death. And I think that what happens too, before I move on to the next point, is that we forget like how far we've come or, or where we have fallen from. Uh, we do this for so long that we forget how disgusted, how abused and abandoned we were before we met Christ. We forget how much in need we were of a savior. We think that we get to a point where we're so like clean and, and holy and, and, and put together that um, Jesus isn't as prevalent to us as it would be to a sinner. But I'm here to tell you that you need Jesus just as much as anybody else on this highway needs Jesus. You need Jesus just as much as your family needs Jesus. You need Jesus just as much as your friend needs Jesus. There's no point to where you can get in your walk, in your salvation, in your your Christian circles to where you don't need Jesus just as much as you did when you first gotten saved. You deserve death. Um, 
when I was a leader in youth, we would always go play basketball at random nights, right? Um, kids love basketball, and I found that one way, one very effective way to reach out to young men would be through sports. So I would go play basketball. Um, one night, we were playing really late to like two in the morning, and you ever been so tired to the point where like, you just don't know how you're going anymore. Like you just, your body's just moving, but you have no energy in and of yourself to like keep going. And it was one of those nights we were playing for like hours on end. And I finally made it home. Um, and I was like, you know what I need? Some hydration, right? Everybody needs some hydration after a good workout, after a good exercise. And uh, I decided I was gonna go home and get something to drink and take a shower, finish my night, get up, go to church the next morning. Well, in the effort to get some hydration, right? I opened up my fridge and I just reached for like the nearest bottle of clear liquid that I can find, assuming it was water. Uh, you ever been so tired too? And like, you don't really taste like the first two or three like gulps of what you drink. It was one of those nights too. So I reached for the nearest bottle of clear liquid, take like two or three gulps. And uh, two or three gulps later, I found out it was vinegar. So can you imagine going to play basketball for six hours on end, and the first thing you drink when you get home is two to three good gulps of vinegar? Wasn't good. Uh, I ended up throwing up, uh, probably drunk about three gallons of water after that just to wash the taste from my mouth, esophagus, et cetera. But it wasn't fun um, because vinegar, obviously, and dehydration don't mix, right? That's, I don't need to be a scientist to tell you that. Dehydration and vinegar don't mix. Being tired and drinking anything but water don't mix. In the same way that um, salvation being based on your works does not mix. Salvation is not based on works. Matthew chapter 5, verse 20 says, but I warn you, this is Jesus speaking, unless your righteousness is better than the righteousness of the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of God. And if you know anything about the Pharisees, they were teachers of religious law as well. They were a very extreme and knowledgeable group of Jews that would essentially be like touted around. They were exalted as like representatives. They would essentially be like, um, in context of today, like priests or um, some other like very high political and religious figures. But to give you some more context of what a Pharisee wore, like, Paul, the apostle, was a Pharisee before he had met Christ. He was very knowledgeable of the word, but they were very, like, judgmental. They would persecute the church. Paul, the apostle, actually was responsible for the death of the first martyr of the church in Acts chapter, I believe it's six. But that provides you some context of who they were. And Jesus said, unless your righteousness is better than that of these teachers of religious law and these Pharisees, then you will never save the kingdom of heaven. And what did he mean by that? Like, what were some of the things that they would base their righteousness off of? That's, that's the question that I had. Uh, Matthew chapter 23, it says that they were very knowledgeable, that they built their righteousness or the basis for their righteousness on what they knew, right? Matthew chapter 23 also says that they looked apart. The Jesus said that um, they were like whitewashed tombs, that they looked clean and very elegant on the outside, that they looked put together, but on the inside they were dirty and full of dry bones. Right. Jesus also condemned them for being like dirty bowls. Like you were so careful to polish the outside of the cup. Right. You were so careful to take care of what looks good on the outside. But you you missed the mark because you were dirty on the inside. 
also in that same chapter, Matthew uh, chapter 23, Jesus condemned them for uh, tithing, but neglecting weightier matters of the law like justice, mercy, and faith. So he was essentially condemning them for what they did and not who they were in God or who they were in, in Christ. Um, and what's awesome, too, is that Galatians was actually written to combat the notion entirely that Jesus plus anything makes you holy or makes you righteous. There's no right. There's no checklist plus Jesus that makes you righteous. There's no, oh, I go to church plus read my Bible plus Jesus, and that makes me righteous. You're righteous simply because you, you have faith in Christ. And this has been the same since the dawn of time. In Genesis chapter 15, God uh, counted Abraham as righteous because of his faith in Christ. So faith even precedes the law of the Old Testament. It's only through faith. There's no um, amount of money you can give. There's no there's nothing you can do in service to God that will make you right. There's a lot of quote unquote good people that go to hell every day because we have this condition of good like, oh, I don't murder anybody. I don't cheat anybody. I don't, I don't do this. But without God, there's no good. There's no good outside of God. So unless you are truly devoted and, and Jesus is Lord of your life, there's no righteousness outside of him. There's no righteousness outside of that formula. There's no checklist you can pursue. There's no amount of church services you can go to. There's no amount of Bible studies that you can lead or teach or amount of scriptures that you could read that would make you holy and righteous. It's only through Jesus and faith in him that makes it so. And I think that this is a hard concept for us to grasp because of where we live, right? We live in America. And in America, we teach that, oh, if you work hard enough, you'll get your results, right? You'll get what you want. You know, if you work hard enough, you show up to work early, you stay late, you'll get that promotion, which leads to a raise, which leads to you being happier. And we have such, of, we have such a grind culture in America, right? That you work hard, you do what you need to do, and then you'll see promotion, you'll see um, satisfaction. And the, like I mentioned earlier in Romans chapter 3, verse 23, it says that the, the gift of eternal life is free. And I think that that's a hard concept for us to grasp as Americans because we don't really understand the concept of something being completely free and paid for. All you have to do is accept it. There's no working for salvation. You just have to have faith in Christ, and then salvation is, is prevalent, is here. Salvation is not based on works. And I'm not really one to pat myself on the back, but I think that the best planning slash events that I've ever thrown or put together was on my engagement day. Uh, just to give you guys a little short backstory. If you don't know my wife, her name's Brianna. She's an awesome, amazing woman, which is why I decided to make her my lovely wife. Um, when we got engaged, right, she had college orientation that day. And I was like, man, I was looking at the calendar, and there was no way that I could have done it other than on that day. So what I decided to do was I decided to call the president of the school. I got on the phone, I was like, hey, this is the situation. I'm trying to propose to my wife today, but she has orientation at the school. Is there any other way that we can like go about getting her like orientation done so that I can pull her from you guys and you know do the whole thing, engage her, throw the party, et cetera? And, and he was like, yeah, he was on my team. I really appreciated that. He was like, yeah, this is what we're going to do. We're not even going to let her know that, that this is going on. We're just going to have her think that she's coming to orientation. You take her where you need to go. I'll have everybody on my staff on the same page so that we're not giving it away. I was like, dude. You're a blessing from God. Blessings on your descendants forever and ever. Amen. Um, so I had my wife thinking that we, she was going to orientation that day. I actually took her out to eat um, on the river walk, proposed to her. She was like, obviously excited and freaking out. But she was like, man, I have to get to orientation. I said, you know what, baby? We're not going to orientation today. This is what I did. 
Uh, so we ended up not going to orientation. We actually went on like gondola rods at City Park. I tried to make it so romantic. Uh, and after the gondola ride, we actually had an engagement party um, hosted by Hannah Wilson. If y'all know who that is from the Shaman campus, she helped me out tremendously. So blessings on her descendants forever and ever. Amen. Um, but yeah, it was like a great day. Um, I, I, I haven't I haven't outdone myself since. That's like she when we got engaged and that day happened, that was like the baseline for my event planning for her. And if it didn't come up to that standard at that point, like. Oh, well, but no good deed goes unpunished. That's what I will say. But all Brianna had to do, right, all my wife had to do was show up to these events. She was already engaged. She already said yes in, in the early morning, and she stayed engaged through all those events, right? The only thing she had to do was show up and, and be the part. She just had to show up and be my fiance at that point. I had planned everything else going forward. I planned the gondola ride. I planned the, the dinner. I planned the the brunch, I planned the party, et cetera. The only thing she had to do was show up and be my fiance. And the third and final point I wanna to make today is that works are evidence of your salvation. And this is the proper perspective to have of works, right? I just mentioned that works aren't, your salvation isn't based off of works, but works are evidence of your salvation, right? Salvation is a free gift from God, but because we have this free gift from God, we want to honor God in that by doing the work he has set before us. Right, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. I mentioned this verse of scripture two weeks ago when I preached. It says that for you are God's masterpiece, created anew in Christ Jesus to do the good things he planned for you long ago. Right, so he creates you anew and then he gives you plans. He has something for you to do. And if you truly understand that, then you, you wouldn't be satisfied with just sitting in the chair. You wouldn't be satisfied with just letting other people do the work of the, the ministry, doing the work of the kingdom and sitting idly by because you know that you deserve death. You know that the gift of God was free. All you had to do was accept it. And now you get the opportunity to partner with him in ministry. I wanna take you back to the Bible. James chapter two, verse 18 through 20. It says that now someone may argue, some people have faith, others have good deeds. But I say, how can you show me your faith if you don't have good deeds? I will show you my faith by my good deeds. You say you have faith, for you believe that there is one God. Good for you. Even the demons believe this, and they tremble in terror. How foolish. Can't you see that faith without good deeds is useless? God has a plan for you after, you're, after you are saved, needless to say. And some of the works that he has planned for you right after you're saved are things like John 14, 15 says to obey my commandments. What are his commandments? You can find them in Matthew chapter 5 through 7. He says that to go make disciples of all nations, right? And Matthew chapter 28, the Great Commission. James chapter 4 says to draw near to God. There are things that he expects us to do after we're saved, but these things don't make us righteous. We do them because we're righteous. We're not fighting to God with our works. We're fighting from God with our works. We already have him. We've obtained him. We've had faith in him. We're made righteous, and now he expects us to walk it out and do the things he has set before us. And that's the perspective we have to have. Church isn't an endpoint. Church is not the endpoint. If church was the endpoint, we'd we'd lead a very boring life, right? But he says that once you're saved, I have these good works planned for you. Long, that I, I plan. I have these good works for you to finish that I planned for you long ago. Uh, Matt, I mean not Matthew. Ephesians chapter four verse twelve says, and we know the scripture that he gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, some to be teachers, and some to be pastors, right? But and the following verse it says that this is for the edification of the body and the equipping of the saints. And that should be your life work. 
your life, your life's work should be dedicated to edifying the body and equipping the saints for the ministry. And again, church is just a starting point. If you, if you have the mindset that, oh, if I get my family to church or if I get my friends to church and they finally accept Christ and that's all I need to do, then like, that's not it. They, ha they have a plan for their life just like you have a plan for yours. I wanna see you fulfilled in your calling. And again, like I said two weeks, the enemy would love to just see you be comfortable in your chair and not really doing much. If he can't get you to fall back into sin and to forfeit your salvation, the next best thing is for you to just sit in your chair and, and, and just watch idly by. Just come here, good message here, uh, Pastor Carl speak here, Pastor Chris speak here, me speak, and then go on about your day. And that's not it, guys. Like what's it is actually edifying the body and equipping the saints for the ministry, doing the good things he planned for you long ago, going out, making disciples of all nations. And that is faith with good deeds, amen? And in closing, um, you guys will actually remember this because I used the same verse of scripture to close out two weeks ago, and I think it's very prevalent and needed um, because we don't intentionally fall into the system of doing our works for righteousness, right? But if you forget who Christ is and you forget um, who you were before you were saved and you walk this walk for long enough, you'll fall into the habit of like, doing the works, doing what you, you know you need to do. You know you need to come to church. You know you need to go to life group. You know you need to tithe. But again, those things don't make you righteous. And if you get why you do those things, then you're, you're misaligned. You're out of, your priorities are off. And that's what I spoke on two weeks ago about priorities. But in Revelation chapter two, verses two through five, John on the island of Patmos writes to the church of Galatia that, I know your works. I know your labor, your patience, and that you cannot bear those who are evil. You have tested those who say they are apostles and are not, and have found them liars, and you have persevered and have patience, and have labored for my name's sake, and have not become weary. Nevertheless, I have this against you, that you have left your first love. Remember, therefore, where you have fallen, repent and do the first works, or, or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place, unless you repent. And I love how he starts that, that I know your works. I know all the good things you've done. I, and to make that equivalent to how we would probably read the scripture today is that I know your works. I know that you sacrifice time for my ministry. I know you come to church faithfully every Sunday. I know you come to meeting after meeting so that the church can prosper, so that you can serve. Uh, I see that you're tithing. I see that you're reading your Bible, that you're in prayer, that you're pursuing me. Um, but sometimes he has this against us that we've forgotten our first love. We've forgotten where we have fallen. We've forgotten our need for him. And then once we forget our need for him and have forgotten where we have fallen from, then our relationship in Christ becomes about works. And that's the point I wanna get across. Like we have to remember God, simply put. And that sounds simple and so cliche, but how often do we forget him or forget where we've fallen or forget our first love and then our salvation just becomes Oh, I go to church. It becomes checklist Christianity at that point. If you don't remember your first love, it just becomes checklist Christianity. And I remember when I first gotten saved, I shared a little bit two weeks ago. I was 16 years old in a body shop um, in Shamet is where we used to have church. Right in front of the, the Shamet campus, there's this body shop, and that's we used to own that building, and that's where we had church. Um, and I remember at a youth prayer night, we just had some iPod worship on. We prayed for about an hour. 
and I ended up feeling like I went there on accident. And we all know that God, there's no accident in God. Like he knew I was going to be there. Before I'd gotten saved, I was a Catholic. And I say that with air quotes because I just went to church on Easter and Christmas and I did the whole kneel, sit down, stand up routine and thought that that made me righteous, right? Um, I gave up, you know, one thing for Lent and I thought that if I did that, that God would honor me when I stood before him. I'd be like, God, you know what? I gave this up for Lent. And he'd be like, you're right, just come on in the kingdom. But that's not how it works. Um, Matthew chapter 7, verse 22 and 23, I believe, it says that many will come to me on the last day and say, uh, Lord, Lord, I cast out demons in your name. I prophesied in your name. And he's going to say, depart from me, for I never knew you. And how I just got, like, chills from, he like, hearing myself say that, because that's going to be the worst word you can ever hear in all of human history, depart from me, for I never knew you. And think about how deep in the Lord you have to be to cast out demons, right, to prophesy. Like, that's not an easy feat. Everybody's not running around casting out demons and prophesying in his name, right? So you have to be pretty close to God to do that. You have to, like, lean into the Holy Spirit to do that. Those aren't simple tasks that everybody does. So if we can get to the point to where we can cast out demons and prophesy in his name, and then he can still tell us, depart from me, for I never knew you, think about where those people have fallen from. And that's all I'm here to, to tell you, is just to be, pay attention. Pay attention to your walk. Pay attention to your, your intention. Is your intention is in God? Are you coming to church today for the right reasons? Did you show up because you want God? Or did you show up because if you didn't, your life group leader was actually where you at? And how often we, we fall into that place of, man, I really don't feel like doing this, but I know I need to. Whereas we have the privilege to do so because we deserved death, guys. We deserved death. But Jesus was so gracious, was so merciful that he decided to become death for us so that we can be made righteous. Amen. Amen. So if you could put on some worship, I just want to close out and say that if you can relate to this verse of scripture, the same verse of scripture that I read two weeks ago and say, you know what, Raph? I've fallen into the place of checklist Christianity. I've forgotten my first love for God. I've forgotten or I fell from the, my passionate walk with Jesus. And I've done some things out of obligation that I should have done out of honor and service to the Lord. If you can say, that's me, that I need to repent. I need to stand before the Lord and ask him to just renew me, to reflame a fresh fire in me.